My name is Danielle Couch, and I am a covenant partner here, and I have the honor of reading scripture this morning. Today, we will continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel tells us the story of Jesus, and in his story, we discover the origins of our story. Today, we will be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Would you pray with me? Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, we thank you for drawing us together today so that we may know your truth, so that we may be strengthened by your word, and so that we may be encouraged by your promises. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord. Speak, for your servants are listening. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. It is so good to be back here in the 1102 service again for my first time in 2021. It's, it's wonderful to be here. It is kind of strange though. This is the first time I've preached the contemporary service uh, in our new year since the beginning of the new year. So happy new year to you. It's good to see you. So glad to be here. It was weird though this morning. I, you, you may notice this, this is something I, I don't always wear, my, my church name tag, which is something I encourage everybody else to wear, but I'm a hypocrite, I guess, and I, I just don't wear it all the time. But but today I, I went on into my office and decided I needed to put it on because there were people who kept coming up to me and saying, hi, how are you? And you know, with the mask on and looking at me and I wasn't wearing my robe. I'm not wearing all my, my clerical garb and everything's like, hi, how are you? Oh, 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 it's Bob. And I thought, wow, I need to, I, I guess the sweaters are like a disguise for me. So it's good to be back. It's so good to be with you. But I tell you, I, I, I miss being with you. But it, it's, it's already a tough year. Have you, does anybody here like, feel like already 2021 is just like 2020, but with a bad haircut? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like it's starting off in a, with a bang. And right now we're getting pushed to the limits on a lot of things. We're being stressed. We're, being, we're actually being forced into choices that we don't like. And that don't make sense and where it seems like there is no winning side. It's, I mean, everything seems like a lose, lose decision. And that's why, that's why it's a, I think it's important for us right now to especially turn to God and, and listen deeply to what his word is saying to us. Danielle just read to you our passage for today, which is about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness as, as the gospel of Mark presents it. And I think it's really important for us to, 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 learn from this story because right now, as our songs said this morning, we're in a position where, where things are just overwhelming. And, and I will, let me say this, I, I'm, I'm trying to be, not to be too much of a preacher and make everything a slogan, but it seems to me like right now, the temptation to temptation is stronger than it's ever been in my life. What I mean by that is it's the temptation to rationalize our behavior, the temptation to rationalize our decisions, the temptation to either give up or to compromise or all the, it is all just so palpable. The temptation to temptation seems so strong. 
And that's why we're going to talk about this passage today. You know, we've been studying the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark for a few weeks now. And we have to remember that this, this story is taking place on three levels. There's the literal, actual historical story of Jesus that we read in the Gospel of Mark, that, that history that we're reading. But in Mark's story, we also read that Jesus represents the story of Israel and the embodiment of God's promised redemptive restoration of God's covenant people. And then most immediately, the story of Jesus speaks to God's personal restoration and his personal dealings with us as his children. And so what that means is that this story, the story of Jesus, is the foundation of our story as a church. And even beyond that, it's our foundation or the origin of our stories individually, personally, as children of God. In other words, in his story, we find the origins of our own story. And so as we look at his story today, we're going to see that in his life, Jesus endured some really tough things. So how did Jesus survive the challenges that he endured? And what we learn as we read this story is that at the beginning of his story, we see that restoration begins with disruption. What that means is that the grace of God will turn your life upside down. Now let's take, think back just to last week. Here we have this beautiful, peaceful scene of Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist, Jesus rising from the water, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, the heavens split open, God declaring, this is my beloved child, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then it's like somebody else, cut! And the scene changes. And we see that the Spirit is, is that we see from this beautiful family picture Everything moves to the wilderness. Immediately, he goes into the wilderness. I mean, let's, let's take a minute to look at the grammar of this sentence. First, the verb. Mark says that God, the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him out. I mean, it's like he came out of the water, and this, the Holy Spirit dove is just replaced by this giant raptor that grabs him by the shoulders and just flies him out into the wilderness. It's that sudden. It's like he didn't even get a chance to go to the baptism reception or anything. And it says that Jesus was driven into the wilderness. Now, the word here in Greek is the word ekbalo. The word balo actually means to throw. And what it means is literally to throw out of, to get thrown out, to expel, to repel. And so the sense of what's happening is that Jesus is violently torn from his old life. He was not just driven into the wilderness like the Holy Spirit came up in a car and picked him up and they drove off to Yellowstone together. He is driven. He's expelled from his old life and now he is in the wilderness. This is literally moving him out of his comfort zone from the mountaintop of his baptism into the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you know, I've talked to so many people over the years who have come to Christ and they've had this beautiful mountaintop uh, conversion experience. Maybe it was on a retreat or just in a conversation with a friend. And it was seemed like everything was upward sloping and to the right. And then as soon as they accepted Christ into their lives, bam, things got complicated. Friends turned on them. 
values seemed to change, decisions became harder. It's, it, they were expecting it to become just this peaceful, easy existence, and all of a sudden it changed. We see that in the life of Jesus. Here he is. He has all the marks of one who has just come to faith. Of course, we know that this is, that's something he's wearing for our sake. But we see this immense disruption in his life. He is literally ripped out of the place where he is, and he's taken to someplace unbelievably difficult. And so we see that in our own lives, too. But then there's the next, there's the prepositional phrase. He was driven into the wilderness. Jesus wasn't just driven out of his familiar life. He was driven into the wilderness. The Negev, the wilderness outside of Jerusalem was not just a forest wilderness, like a a national forest or something. It was a desert wilderness. The desert is a dry and desolate place. A few weeks ago, I just spent, uh, spent some time out with Morgan's family out in West Texas, out in Odessa. I know desert wilderness now. To describe, to use the words of a friend of mine, Steve Cobb, you all may know him. He said, it's like everything out there is designed to hurt you. The cactuses, the mesquites, it is just rough. And that's where Jesus was. He was not in a nice forest wilderness. He was in a desert wilderness. But not only that, in the Hebrew mind and in Hebrew history, the wilderness was not just a geographic location or environment. It was a symbol. It was a spiritual environment. It was a place of hardship and deprivation where a person could be pushed to the limits and pushed to do, tempted to do whatever he thought that he had to do to survive. And even though we know that God is sovereign over all times, over all places, over all kingdoms, the wilderness is a symbol for those places that are uncivilized and seem to be beyond God's control. Have you ever felt like, like, I don't know how it is, but if God's everywhere, how can I possibly be outside of his sphere of control? And yet it feels like you're all alone out here on the edge of nowhere. That's the wilderness idea. And in the Old Testament, this is the place where the people of Israel were sent when they failed God. It was the place where they were forged and where they were tested, where the people of God wandered for 40 years. It's a place where one feels like you have to make a choice between faithfulness and survival. So now let's look at the subject of the sentence. Who was it that drove Jesus into the wilderness? Was it Satan? Was it John the Baptist? Was it even Jesus himself? No. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. What does that mean? That means that this was God's doing. He didn't end up there accidentally. It is God who put Jesus in the wilderness. Before Jesus began preaching and teaching and healing the sick publicly, before he started challenging the powerful, God sent his son into a war zone. The Bible tells us that God sent his son into the desert. He was led into the wilderness there to be tempted by the devil. To me, that would be like me saying to my children, before you go out into the real world, I want you to go and live with this guy for a while. 
He used to work for me, but he's tried to run me out of business several times in a hostile takeover. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's abusive. He hates people and he uses them, but he's really good at telling people what they want to hear and making them think that everything looks good. He's rich enough to offer you everything you could ever want, but he'll take everything you have and he will leave you with nothing. So see you in a couple of months. Good luck with that. But in a sense, that's kind of what's happening here. But God had a reason for sending Jesus into the wilderness. Why was Jesus sent into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Well, the wilderness was to be Jesus's proving ground. God, the Holy Spirit, drove Jesus into into this war zone to prove his worthiness, to prove his credibility, and to prove God's faithfulness. Now first, he sent him into the wilderness to prove that he was the lamb without blemish and to prove that he was worthy to be the sacrifice for our sins. The first reason that God sent, the, uh, sent Jesus into the den of the devil was to prove that Jesus was truly the innocent sacrifice, a lamb without blemish. Whenever lambs were brought to the temple, they had to be inspected to see if they were in fact worthy to be the sacrifice for one's sins. And that's what was happening here. Jesus was being inspected to prove that he was truly a sinless person worthy to pay the price for our sins. And that's important to understand because everything in Mark's gospel, everything in Mark's story of Jesus is pointed towards Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And before Jesus went to the cross, he had to be inspected just like every other sacrifice made to God. So it's interesting that when when people think about the word temptation, they think of some kind of seduction towards sin. The Greek word, which most English Bibles translate as tempted, is the Greek word perazo. And the word perazo actually has another meaning. It means not only to tempt, yes, it does mean that, but it also means to test. Jesus was sent into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by Satan, to be inspected, to be proven. And so temptation is not just about resistance to failure. I mean, people think, oh, I've succeeded against temptation if I just didn't fall for it. But temptation actually has another purpose. It's about proof. You know, for example, when you take a test in school, the point of the test is to prove that you have learned the subject. I have a good good friend who works on staff here at the church. She just got her, her black belt, her teaching certificate, in a martial art just back before Thanksgiving. And I remember seeing her after she came back from that weekend of testing. And I mean, she looked strong, she looked powerful, but man, she looked rough. It was a tough test. It was basically all weekend. And her teacher had put her through everything, two days of fighting, two days of exercise, two days almost of hazing, just unbelievable stuff to test her metal. But she was there to prove that she had learned the skills and the, and the content that she needed to know, not only to survive, but to teach others. It wasn't just about getting a black belt. It was about proving that she had mastered the material. Well, Satan threw everything he had at Jesus. And Jesus didn't just survive the temptations. Matthew tells us that he rebuked Satan with the promises of God. 
He used that wilderness moment of brutal temptation and deprivation to glorify God. And with that, he set an example of purity and loyalty and faithfulness to his father. So he not only survived temptation, he proved that he is worthy to carry the sins of the entire world. But it wasn't just that Jesus proved his worthiness. He also proved his credibility. Jesus was not born into this world to become some untouchable superhero. Instead, as the book of Hebrews says, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to just go at some point, just take a moment and just scan the stories of Jesus' life. And you will see that everything Jesus would ask his disciples to go through, he went through himself first. From his baptism, to his temptations, to his conflicts, to his compassion, to his devotion, to his suffering, and even to his death on the cross. With everything that Jesus asked of his disciples and us, Jesus went first. And so when Jesus asks us to endure temptation, we know that he has endured it himself. And what that means is that Jesus knows how fiercely we're tempted because he went through it first. Jesus understands our lives because he lived it. God sent Jesus into the jaws of temptation so that we would know that he understands what we go through every day. And here's the thing. Jesus had the power to save himself at any moment. He had the power to turn stones into bread. He had the power to summon angels to catch him if he fell. He had the power to claim for himself all other earthly power. But we don't have those options, do we? That's, those are not powers available to us. And so to save us, Jesus really became one of us even to the level of our helplessness. Jesus didn't take the easy way. He didn't cheat his way through the temptations. As Hebrews says, he himself suffered and when tempted for our sakes. But most importantly, this episode of Jesus in the wilderness proved God's faithfulness. In the wilderness, the Son of Man was pushed beyond the edge of human limitations. After not eating for 40 days in the wilderness, his body would have been in full ketosis, eating itself. He would have been thirsty. He would have been well past the point of dehydration, well past the point of ordinary human endurance. But Jesus went into the wilderness to demonstrate his utter dependence on God. He was saying, if I'm going to survive this, it will not be because of my strength or my skills or my resources. It will be because of his mercy. It will be because my father wants me alive. And therefore, for 40 days and beyond, Jesus depended on God for Everything You know, just a few minutes ago we prayed, give us, O oh Lord, this day our daily bread. 
How many times do we pretty much think to ourselves, we got the daily bread part figured out. Lord, help me with, I just need you for the big stuff. I'll handle the little stuff, the daily stuff, the day that makes, you know, the, the stuff of everyday decisions. Jesus said, I am putting it all on him. I'm putting all my eggs in this, ba- on this basket. I am betting the house on my father in heaven. So how did Jesus survive both the spiritual and physical hardships of this ordeal? Utter dependence on God. The only reason that Jesus was alive was because God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were keeping him alive. And here's something that we often gloss over. But Mark says that God did not abandon Jesus. And how do we know that? Because he wrote that the angels were ministering to him. What that means is that Jesus depended on God for his survival to show us that we can depend on God, and God took care of him. Boy, that is a tough one sometimes. We get way out there on the edge of the cliff, we get way out there at the end of our rope, and we wonder, can I really go any farther? No, you can't. But he can carry you farther. As we study this story, we can't neglect to mention the all-too-willing role that the devil plays in the temptation of Jesus. God sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. But here's the thing. Satan wanted Jesus to fail, just like he wants us to fail. What's really kind of ironically sad about this story is that I really believe that Satan actually thought that the Son of God could be seduced. He really did believe that. Mark doesn't give us much, if any, detail about the temptations, not like Matthew does, but most of what we know about this incident, we know from the other gospels. But we know that he tempted Jesus with survival. He tempted him with fame and he tempted him with power. And Satan's gambit was this. It was to isolate Jesus from God. In other words, to help him or to make him believe that he was all alone. Satan wanted to prove Jesus unworthy. Satan wanted to disprove his credibility to us. In other words, he wants us to believe that, you know, God doesn't care about you because he knows nothing about you. He's never been here. He's never lived your life. It's too easy for him. Why would he care? And Satan also wanted to make him believe, make Jesus believe that he had to depend on himself. You know, first the serpent tried to tempt Jesus to turn him away from God as he had the first man and the first woman. And when he couldn't turn Jesus, he turned everybody else against him. And they hated him. They misunderstood him. They resisted him. They betrayed him. They abandoned him. They slandered him. They scourged him, humiliated him. And finally, they crucified and killed him. But after 40 days in the wilderness... Jesus' victory came from his trust and dependence on God. He trusted God more than he feared suffering, and God proved that he's trustworthy. Because when Jesus was most desperate, God sent his angels to minister minister to him and carry him through. Now here's where we take the turn. This is where his story really is most visible as our story. Jesus went into the wilderness to show us that he understands the wilderness in which we live every day. The fears, the temptations, the desperation and the pain, the guilt 
and the ignorance. As a matter of fact, I believe that one reason that we have the details of Jesus' temptations in one version of the story and not in another is so that we will not get too specific and think that the only temptations from which God will protect us are those of the like given to Jesus. But we know that our temptations are much more, more, much more broad, much of greater variety. And so this is almost more of a generic story. But in this story, God became man. He took on flesh to join us in our wilderness. And he came to show us how to survive and to carry us through it. You know, the wilderness exists wherever hopelessness and temptation lurk. Not with just the seductive pleasures that come from the devil, but from the gnawing, threatening hunger that makes people desperate. Temptation lurks wherever there's poverty or hate or injustice or broken families. It lurks wherever sin looks like the best option or the only option. It's not just about that seduction, it's also about desperation. It exists wherever and whenever somebody feels like they have to choose between stealing and starving, between dignity and survival. When life gets hard, it's easy to get greedy. It's easy to be selfish. And more often than not, temptation comes in the form of desperation rather than desire. You know what? I think Satan actually tempts us more with our needs than with our wants. You know, I need that drink. I need this win. I need this business deal. I need this grade. I need this relationship. I need these votes. I need this money. And suddenly it's too easy to say yes. And while we're in the wilderness, here's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to convince us that we are weak and unworthy and alone. And he wants us to think that we're isolated from God, that if God is even real, that he doesn't care or that he's just disgusted with us and, dis and, dis and despises us. And he wants to convince us that we are beneath God's love and that we're unworthy of God's grace, that we're too wicked to be worthy of God's love. And most of all, I think he wants us to believe that, that we can find our own way out of the wilderness. He wants you to believe, hey, it's all up to you. You're on your own. If God isn't going to meet your need, you've got to take it yourself. You deserve it. Do whatever it takes to get what you need. And then, once you've cut God out of the equation, well, then you can do whatever you want. You can get whatever you want then. The point is that Satan wants to break us away from believing that God the Father loves us he wants to break us out of this dance, as Tim Keller describes it. He wants to break us out of this dance that we're in with the Holy Spirit and with the Father and with the Son. He wants to isolate us. He wants to make us think that we have to do it all on our own. And, if what, and to get what we need, we have to get it ourselves. And then, if he can't tempt us, if he can't turn us, then he'll try to turn everyone against us. And that's when the real heat gets hot. I mean, does it ever feel like the world is just turning against you when you're trying to do the right thing? But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus Christ is saying, I have walked this road and I have heard the lies. 
And I have felt the fear. And I have been tempted with everything. But remember, you are his beloved child. And with you, he is well pleased. Remember, just two verses ago, you are his beloved child. And with you, he is well pleased. You are his child. He loves you. And he has a plan for you. Because Jesus had that front and center in his mind. Hebrews says that because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus not only endured temptation, he endured the cross. But Jesus never, let, never lost sight of where he was headed. Of course, Jesus could have taken the easy way out. But knowing what God had planned for him, he could put up with anything along the way cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, right there, in the place of honor, right beside his father. The reason that Jesus survived the temptations is because he knew that God had something better for him. You know, here's our problem. Our problem is not that we expect too much from this life. Our problem is that we're satisfied with too little. Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We clamor for the ordinary, but God wants the extraordinary for us. We just want bread to survive, but God has something much better in store. And so right now, whatever stones or bread Satan is using to tempt you away from God, know that those are going to turn to ashes in your mouth. God has something far greater planned for you, and I know that because he had something far greater planned for Jesus. It is God who drove Jesus into the wilderness, and it's God who puts us in the wilderness we're experiencing. Can you believe that? God actually sends us into the wilderness places and our wilderness moments to forge us, to prepare us for that better thing that he knows about that we don't yet see. Every temptation is a challenge to our will, to our convictions, to our love, and to our courage. But it's also an opportunity to show people that no matter how sorely we're tested, we are going to trust God. No matter how things look, we're going to believe in him, follow him, and believe that he will work all things together for good for those who love him. So remember this. The angels ministered to Jesus. And because you are his beloved child, no matter what your temptation, he will give you faith beyond your sight. He's going to give you endurance beyond your breaking point. He will give you courage beyond your fears. He's going to give you hope beyond your hopelessness. And you know what? Even if you screw all of that up, excuse me, <laughs> he's going to give you forgiveness. That is so thorough, so everlasting, so powerful. Because it is bought by the blood of his son that it will carry you even when you fall. Right now, I'm going to ask the band if they would come on back up. And we're going to take an opportunity to do something that we don't probably do often enough. And that is just to 
invite anybody who is in need of some support, some knowledge, some, some re- reassurance that you're not alone in whatever wilderness you're walking right now. We want you to, to come forward so that I and members of our ministry, our prayer ministry team can pray for you. Um, the band is going to start a song. They're going to they're going to start playing. That your cue start playing right now. I mean, get the hum going. Um, come on, we practiced this. Uh, they're going to start playing, and you're, everybody's going to stand up, and and you may discover that you know that God is putting on your heart right now that you know what you're going through is 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 a wilderness moment, and you need to figure out, or you need Him to help you figure out that. You know, what it is that he's trying to teach you, how he's trying to shape you, how he's trying to to show you his love and his mercy in this moment. And the reason I want you to do this is to come forward and to pray with members of our prayer ministry team or pray with our deacons. If you're an elder or deacon, we might need your help up here. The reason we want you to come pray with us is because we're the body of Christ. and, And it's easy for me to say you know, you're not alone, that God's not going to leave you alone, but this is our opportunity as his angels to minister to you, to provide that tangible, very real moment of connection to, to point in a physical way to the spiritual reality that God has not abandoned you. He sent you into this wilderness, but he's not going to leave you there. He sent you into this wilderness, but he's not abandoned you there. He sent you into this wilderness because he believes in you. Not because he wants to break you, but because he wants to prove that you have the stuff inside you to be his disciple, to be his person, and to share his love, not only with your family, not only with your friends, but with your community, with your church, your office, your team, whoever it may be, your class. So I'm going to pray. These guys are going to start leading us in a song. And I just want to invite whoever would like to come forward just, to, just for a moment of prayer so we can pray about your wilderness and we can pray about your hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time to stand in your light and to be absorbed in your word. Lord, we know that as a nation, as individuals, as a church, we're in a wilderness. We're in in this wilderness of division and everything else, all the things that Carrie talked about. But Lord, we also know that that you've shown us that we can survive this wilderness if we will utterly depend on you. So Lord, guide our steps, hold our hands, and carry us now. In Jesus' name, amen.